0: you are listening to the bridge community church podcast out of warrenton virginia our church exists to connect you to god others and the marketplace for more information you can visit us online at bridge the number four life.com thank you for listening and we hope you are blessed by today's message Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Let's give an altar call for all of y'all, because y'all stood Jesus up this morning at the 9 a.m. service. I mean, I mean, it was me and the Holy Spirit and the blessed few saying, "Come on, awake my soul." Now y'all better come through for me. None of that. You had an extra hour. I used to be on staff at a church, my office in the basement of the church, and I had a window that faced the exit lane of the church, came in one side of the church, exited the other lane. And I always knew who the people were that didn't change their, their clocks because they would drive by about an hour early. I was in my, oh, we'll see them again in an hour, hopefully. Hopefully they didn't take that as a moment to say, oh, I didn't set my clock. I'm going to go back to bed. Y'all stayed in bed. I'm not going to let you forget that. Somebody right now is under the conviction, and I'm going to let that work a little bit. Years ago, I learned that, uh, that I, had, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to keep setting my phone <laughs> to make sure it updated. Anybody Anybody do that this week? You're like, but did it really? Look, I'm a preacher, so I always have a Sunday morning obligation <laughs> somewhere. I cannot afford to miss it, so I panicked. I, Just made sure it was always, now thankfully I've come to a place of peace, a peace that passes understanding that the phone is going to (laughs) change. But I do still set an hour early just to be sure, just to make sure. Well, um, I once took a church up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I became pastor on the Sunday in the fall where we start Daylight Savings and uh, everybody gets an extra hour sleep. I commented that that was like a heavenly day, that I thought every pastor should start their ministry on that day when everybody had had an extra hour of sleep. But this day is of the devil. (laughs) We cruelly take an hour. Look, this is a practice of torture, sleep deprivation. It's a practice of torture. We do it to ourselves. Pastor Greg amazingly decided to take today off. He told me, he would be laying on a beach in the heat. Could everybody text him right now just to make sure that his phone changed the time? We don't want him to lose track of that. Help a brother out this week. Uh, as you think of it, text him just to make sure that he updated his watch and all of those kinds of things. We, uh, look, I'm joking. Don't we love our Pat? Don't text him, please. Stop texting him right now. Aren't you thankful that we have a pastor who takes breaks, rests himself, renews himself so that he can, yeah, come on, so he can continue to serve us. We love our pastor. And, uh, and I'm thankful that, that uh, he extends trust to me in this way to say, hey, Ben, I'm going to be away. Will you preach for me? I'm so thankful uh, for the opportunity to preach. In fact, he said, Ben, you can preach whatever you want. I do think there are probably some inherent limitations, so I'm gonna try to keep heresy off the table today, try to stay true to the scripture, the teaching of the word. But I'm probably gonna push the limit. Uh, I may never get to pick my own text again, because uh, today I'm picking a text from the book of the Bible that causes ministerial PTSD. (laughs) Fights, church splits, conspiracy issues, stem from its study. People replace mystery with certainty. That's right. We're looking at the book of Revelation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. You guys are ready to get into this. I can tell. Look, have you, have you ever read the book of Revelation? The revelation of Jesus Christ? It's a little weird. If you haven't taken time to read it, it is one of those parts of the Bible that you have always heard about. It's one of those parts that you have always wondered about. If you're a person who has read it, you've wondered what you just wondered. And it's the way Revelation is. Scripture tells us elsewhere that we see through a glass dimly. One day we'll see face to face. Things will get a lot clearer one day. We have this uh, attraction, this fascination for the prophetic, for things that, that foretell things that are going to happen. Somehow, we, the, I think it's human nature, somehow we tend to believe that we get it right. Have you ever thought about that? Like, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had the, had the, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament that pro- prophesied Jesus would come right? Prophecies that foretold the future gave it right to the people who studied it all the time and they missed it. He stood right in front of them and they missed it. And yet the evangelist came to my church when I was younger and he had this, he had this giant scroll of, of paper. Now listen, I'm a child of the 1980s. All right. Anybody? Born in 78, formative years in the 80s. It was a special time. It was special people. Man, we loved it. We loved the book of Revelation. We loved that it was apocalyptic and eschatological. Apocalyptic, that means the end of the world, and eschatological, the final destiny of man because of the end, right? We we looked at this prophetic revelation in the kingdom of God and, and we said, man, we want to understand it, we wanna see it, and and we did it for a number of reasons, because right then, at that time in in my childhood in the 80s. Uh, this was a time when the charismatic renewal had hit America and people were, were coming to, to faith, true faith in Jesus Christ. They were being touched by the Spirit of God in a fresh new way, in ways that their church had not experienced before. They began to look at Scripture and see that, that in the last days, the Spirit was going to be poured out. And they began to look around and say, it must be the last days. Now, we're Pentecostals. We believe the power of the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2, we're on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God was poured out on the church, and Peter preached, and many people were saved. And what did he say? He said, this is what was prophesied. This is that, right? This is what happens in the last days. And the clock started on the last days. And here we are, thousands of years later, still in the last days. How many of you know the last days yesterday are still part of the last days tomorrow? We don't know when the last, last, last day is. But we are in the last days. In the 1980s, just to set your context, more and more I'm starting to see like the clothing styles kind of look like the 1980s. At least they did last week. That may be different by now, right? Gas prices are starting to look like 1980. Multiplied um, so by Only people old enough to remember the gas shortage of 1980 would remember that kind of thing. And we're gonna have an altar call at the end uh, for po- folks who just sinned when I mentioned gas prices. <laughs> You didn't have to look far around the world at the, the geopolitical landscape at the height of the Cold War to wonder, man, is, is nation rising up against nation? Is there some hope of a one world order? I, I, grew, up, I grew up hearing that, that Ronald Reagan had six letters in his first name, six letters in his middle name, and six letters in his last name. Some of you have read the book of Revelation. <laughs> this mark of the beast, six six six. I remember hearing Ronald Reagan was the beast, this one world leader that was going to bring everybody. You know, I, I remember hearing about uh, about you know our, our Cold War enemy, that that Gog and Magog from Revelation chapter twenty uh, really was Grad and Leningrad, and uh, and and you know some of you remember those Cold War days. I grew up believing there was a town called Grad. There isn't, but I was told that by a Bible teacher. Gog and Magog, Grad and Leningrad. I mean, we were on the edge of our seats. We were waiting for nuclear destruction. We were thinking something's gotta change. Something's gotta give. Jesus is coming back. It led one minister to write a book. It was titled 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Evangelists rolled out their large charts, clipped them to chalkboards because we didn't have projectors and all of that kind of stuff in order to walk us through all of the events that would unfold at the end of time as prophesied by revelation. And I remember family nights where we would show reel to reel full length films depicting the terror of life in the great tribulation without Christ. It was called A Thief in the Night. Does anyone remember those films? Would you pray if you just see somebody's hand (laughs) lifted, would you just lift up a prayer? I got saved so many times from watching those movies, man. You wanna talk about terror? Talk about a world without God, a world without Jesus, people trying to follow him and a kid with a little balloon. The faces faces the opportunity to recant his faith. And then you see the little balloon go up in the air. Jesus, save me. I sometimes see a meme on social media. It's like, what is the what is the movie from your childhood that emotionally scarred you? And right behind a losing his horse in that swamp in the never ending story. I would have to say it was these movies about Jesus coming back for the church And I could hear the echoing of the song. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head, he's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. And there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Man, I hear those words every once in a while and I just have my own personal lot to call. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, help me because I want to be ready. Look, man, I'm so into this. I'm so into the imminent return of Jesus that sometimes I walk into places where no one's around and I'm like, did I miss it? I literally walked through my house, I don't know how many times as a kid, I I remember my mom looking at tears rolling down my cheeks as I walked around the corner into her sewing room and finally found a human person (laughs) that I knew knew Jesus to say, I thought I had missed it. I thought I had missed it. Why? Because there is something about a moment like this. There's something about a moment where we say the time has run out. The clock has run down and time is over. Something happens in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Everything changes. And did I miss it? And man, there is something about that really that stirs fear in us. You know, the the, the caution that I have about preaching a message like this is that if we start to embrace that fear, and look, I've been there, done that. If we start to think this is all about fear, then we are going to miss the message that Jesus has for you today. We're going to miss the word that has been recorded in the prophecy that is given to us. And I don't want you to miss it. So I'm going to preach on the book of Revelation while pastors out of town. If you have questions about all of this theology, you can email our theology department here at the church, Pastor Austin at Life.com. I told a group of friends I was preaching on the last page of their Bible today. Yesterday, they texted our prayer group, texts with each other each day. And I just texted, hey, I'm, I'm preaching on the last page of your Bible. One of my friends sent me this. He said, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. You guys remember maps like this in the back of the Bible when I was growing up We had uh, pews in the church and the book holders and and there were Bibles and man This passed a lot of time for me uh, During the sermons when the sermons were long people start I would start flipping to the back of the Bible just to read the maps and the funny names of the places and Try to follow the little arrows about somebody right now It's like can we get some book holders in the back of these chairs during these long sermons? Anyway, I said I was preaching I had a word from God Steve sent me this photo, so I changed the title of my message. If you're taking notes today, you may want to go ahead and write it down. The world of the patriarchs. Our text this morning is going to be 3rd Maps 1, 1 and 2. All right, for real now, let's get to it. Revelation chapter 22, turn in your Bible there. If you've got an analog version, a paper version, you can go right to the back page of Scripture there. Or you can turn on your Bible and and search Revelation 22. We're going to look at this passage together in a message called Come, Lord Jesus. Here we go, starting in verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Now, this is the this is the apostle John who is writing this. He's experienced everything that he's written about in the book of Revelation I can only imagine that it it was a little overwhelming. I mean, I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to go back in your memory banks, if you're old enough, to think about the old days. I just mentioned, you know, the large paper uh, thing where the, the evangelist took us through the thing. Why? Because we didn't have projectors. And I'm not sure that 20 years ago I would have thought about projectors the way I see them now, let alone 30 and 35 years ago. And I I had uh, my Atari 700 back then. I know, y'all had the 2600. You were the cool ones. I mean, those were the ones that that Radio Shack and Kitty City always advertised for the cheap, low price. But now my dad, my dad got us the Atari 700 because I had a keyboard on it. My dad, the futurist. He was like, you guys gotta be ready to like type and stuff in the future. He was right. But I had no idea what that meant. I I mean, we could type it on the TV screen you never saved anything, you know? It was just gone. John is writing here, trying to wrap his mind and his heart and his soul around everything that he has seen and experienced thousands of years in the future. I mean, he's writing this a couple thousand years ago, things that he saw in the future. Can we, could we even describe it if we were writing it? Now John, John was the most, in my my opinion, John was the most artistic of the New Testament writers. The most artistic. Uh, you look at uh, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar. In fact, they, they kind of quote each other a lot of the time as they kind of bring uh, points a, about Jesus' life and, and kind of detail it out of what his life was like. And then you get to John, and John starts his book like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was artistic, right? I mean, saying, look, look I'm, I'm going to paint a picture for you. It's John who says, I want to tell you about Jesus, and I'm gonna use these I am statements, right? It's Jesus who uses metaphor all through John's writing. I am the bread of life. I am the, uh, the water. I am the, uh, the resurrection and the light. All of these say, this is who I am because I want you to know me, not just the details of me, but I want you to understand I am the solution to the problem. I am the answer to the question. John is, is the one that Jesus loved. He refers to himself that way, but not by name in his own gospel, but the one that Jesus loved. I mean, he was so close to Jesus. He was always with Jesus in, in kind of the most intimate parts of, of Jesus' ministry. When he would only take a few, John would be one of those ones that he would pick to bring along. John writes in, in the New Testament, first, second, third John, he, he writes again very artistic uh, words to, to help encourage a church struggling with heresy. And here he's been, he's been taken as an old man who had been pastoring in Ephesus, taken captive by the Roman government and exiled to an island called Patmos. And and there he's supposed to serve out his time uh, because he keeps giving kind of truth. He keeps keeps teaching what Jesus was about. It keeps coming up under persecution and, and he gets sent away. And while he's there, God picks him to show him This picture of all that's going to happen at the end. Can you imagine if God picked you? you Imagine him tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I just want you to come away from me a moment. I want to show you some things and then I want you to write it down so that everybody can read it. Several times in the book of Revelation, what we find is that John has written this down and he becomes so overwhelmed that he drops down on his face in front of an angel That's leading him around. That happens just before our passage today. And the angel says, no, 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 Get up, get up, get up. You you don't worship me. We worship the lamb. And and he says to John, this is what he says. Keep the scroll open. Don't seal it. This scroll needs to stay open because people need to see it, hear it, read it. They need to know it. And that's his instruction don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because why? The time is near. The time is near. What does it mean that the time is near in eternity? Have you ever wondered that? In, in eternity, we have this, this uh, kind of limited understanding of what it's like. I, up here in my fingers, I'm holding a ring. You know, as a preacher, I go to the altar with people getting married. I make very loving statements about how we, love is unending, like, a, like this circle and this precious thing. So love each other forever or until death do you part, whichever one comes first, right? I mean, that's kind of that's what we do there, idea. Like the, unending nature of love, except when you die, then it's over. Um <laughs> You know, the the nature of eternity is such that there is no beginning and no end. But we are oriented only to understand life through time. We're only oriented to understand things have a starting point and they have an ending point. We write it on tombstones for those we love. They had a beginning. They had an end. It's over. We see that in the seasons of sowing and reaping. We see it in nations that rise up and then they, they come down. I mean, we see the start and end of all things in all of our experience, and yet somehow God sits outside of that in eternity. And yet the angel says, keep the scroll open because the time is near. The time of now, in eternity, it is always now. You ever thought about that? In eternity, it is always now. For us, it's like we have yesterday, we have today, tomorrow. I told a group of students this week, I blew their mind. I said, listen, today is, yes, is tomorrow's yesterday. Huh? Huh? Some of you are going to catch up. They're like, you threw that on us the day we lost an hour sleep, Pastor? Today is tomorrow's yesterday. Where do we live? We live thinking about yesterday. I regret that. I wish I could have changed that. I've got to change that. When are we going to change that? Tomorrow. Then we get to tomorrow and we're like, I should have changed that yesterday. Well, today is tomorrow's yesterday. In eternity, there is always now. There is always now. And so this angel is looking and saying, this is prophecy that you see. It's all happening in the future, but it's happening right now. People need to read it because they need to understand the time is near. At conceptions, at conception, rather. Humans are marked with the image of God by the spark of an immortal soul that is put in each one of us because we are preparing for an eternal kingdom to be in the presence of God. One day, all of the brokenness of the world that we see that is stuck in time will be reconciled, and the scriptures show that Jesus will come and do the reckoning. Jesus is coming soon. I spoke with somebody after the first service. She said, pastor, I remember hearing that when I was younger and I just always wondered how I just, I I don't know that that's, I don't know he's really going to come back in my lifetime. I mean, yeah, I see a lot of things are shaping up for it, but there's still a lot of things in, in the scripture and the prophecy that haven't happened yet. I just didn't know But now I look around and it's amazing how fast things can change. And everything as I thought I knew it and understood it can change in a moment. And suddenly I realized that Jesus is coming soon. Another friend of mine texted me, or spoke to me rather, and apologized. Because on Tuesday of this week, he felt like the Lord told him to text me the words, Jesus is coming soon. And he was too busy, and he didn't do it. And then he heard my message this morning, and he was like, man, I missed it. But what we know is this. The Spirit of God wants to share with you today. Jesus is coming soon. And this prophecy is open for you today in order to know it. Look at verse 11. In one of the weirdest verses of the Bible. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. There are passages of scripture that I read and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And then there's verses like this that I'm like, wait, what? I mean, we got passages of scripture that tells us that it's time to change. It's time to to leave our life behind and turn to Jesus and follow him. But all of a sudden we run into scriptures like this at the end of time, as John is is so overwhelmed by all that he's seen. This is what he hears from the angel. Hey, man, just keep it open so they can all read it. Whoever's doing wrong, they can just keep doing wrong. Whoever's vile, they can just keep being vile. I read that. I'm like, what? How's that supposed to work? Again, though, in light of eternity, I believe what the angel is saying is, man, time is ticking down here. And so probably the choices that people have made are the choices they're going to end up with. If they have chosen to do wrong, they might as well just keep doing it because they're going to get to do wrong for eternity, separated from God. And those that are vile, they can just be in vile because they're going to spend their eternity being vile apart from God. And those that are righteous can be righteous and those that are holy because the time is coming to an end. The time is coming when Jesus will come back for his church. And then Jesus steps in, verse 12. Look, he says, I am coming soon. The word that I believe Jesus wanted to communicate to you today is right there. I am coming soon. Our hearts should be open right now. If Jesus himself wants to speak to you right now, and this is the word that he's trying to tell you, is your heart open? Have you already made your decision? Have you already made your decision that if you're just gonna do your thing, then you're gonna go ahead and do it? Have you made your decision that if he will call to you, you will respond to him? Right now is a moment of decision, and Jesus is saying, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give it to each person According to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The beginning and the end, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves the practices and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus speaks in to this moment where the, the vision has been given. The reckoning has been seen by John. And in, this, in response to the word of this angel who says, if you're, if you're going to do wrong, just keep doing wrong because the time's up. Jesus says, look, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. And he's bringing a reward. He's bringing a reward for those measured against what they have done. Measured against what they have done in choosing righteousness in him. Choosing to to follow him. Choosing to lay their lives aside in order that they may have him. These are the ones that Jesus describes in verse 14 when he says they are blessed when they have washed their robes. That they may uh, receive of the tree of life and go through the gates of the city. But Jesus also says there will be those who don't get to come in to the city. They'll be left out. These are these are the dogs that they practice magical arts. I think sometimes when we see lists like this, it's real easy for us to kind of be like, okay, check, check, check. Like, I'm okay on that one. So some of you right now are like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. Magical arts haven't done that. (laughs) Do you know that people are practicing magical arts right now? It is not just a theme for storybooks. People are bound in a pursuit of the demonic, desperate for life, and only finding death. It's happening in our community. It's happening around the world. I've pastored folks from from Africa. One brother from Togo talked to me about the way that his, his whole family, his whole tribe and clan, practice ancestral worship, making sacrifices to their dead ancestors, believing, listen, folks, we think people... If you think that practicing magical arts is a, is a thing of the past, you haven't realized that there are all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And some of them will be left outside of that city. The sexually immoral. It's amazing how we use these moving standards of trying to determine what, what part of sexuality is immoral And any time we apply a measure of sexuality that falls outside of what scripture teaches, we are practicing sexual immorality. But maybe you're saying, I don't practice magical arts. I'm doing okay on that last one, pastor. And I'm not a murderer. Aren't you feeling good about yourself? I might actually make it. I might actually get into that city, eat of the tree of life, drink of the waters of life. And then the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I don't know where you fall in this list. I don't know how it strikes you. I can just tell you very personally, this is Ben raining, okay? For me, this issue of idolatry is something that I face all the time. It's something for which I need to be forgiven. All the time. You see, idolatry is when we set up anything in the place of God. And in my life, I regularly hear from God because He has noticed that I have started moving some other things into His place. I have begun to look for my provision through other things rather than Him. And He says, It's time to take down that idol. I I move my schedule. Into a place where I stop hearing from God and I just start doing a bunch of stuff. And God has to tap my heart and say, You need to take that idol down and trust me to lead you. Now, that's Ben Rainey. That may not be you. You may not struggle with that thing. When it comes to you and God, you may be passionately pursuing Him, and that's awesome. But if we're not careful, we allow the the threads of, of falsehood to to creep into our hearts and somehow we begin to project ourselves to be something that we're not. Man, when I see this list and I start thinking about a promise that Jesus is coming again soon and these kinds of people are going to be left out, I'm like, now I know why I need a savior. Because I find myself, even among the ones I'm like, no, not me. I cannot get away from ones that touch my life and my soul and say, if not for Jesus, I'm not getting in. If not for Jesus, I have no reason to be received into the city. But because of Jesus, my life has changed. And Jesus says in verse 16, this is the testimony for the church. This is the testimony coming to us. He is coming soon. Verse 17 reads, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. We have an invitation. So, you got an angel who says, If you're doing it wrong, just keep doing it because you're probably running out of time to make your choice. Jesus says, No, 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 I'm coming back and I've got a reward. You can still choose. You can wash yourself in the, in the river. I give this free gift to you. And the response of heaven in that moment is to say, Come, come. The response for someone today who hears this word and realizes how much God loves you so much so that even though time is coming to an end, he is still calling out to you and saying, there's a path, there's a way into the city. You are saying to him, come. It's a response to the promise of this free gift. And this is why amidst all of the mystery and the confusion over prophecy, it's why I believe the key to all of it is Revelation 19, verse 10, which reads in part this way. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Prophecy has been given to us so that we will look at Jesus. Not that we'll look at dragons and beasts and nations. Not all of that stuff. We look to Jesus because unless it's Jesus, then we cannot be delivered. So let me ask you this question. What difference does it make that Jesus is coming again? What difference does it make that Jesus is coming, that that the angel says, hey, he's coming, that Jesus speaks up and says, look, I'm coming. What difference does it make that Jesus is coming? Well, by looking at our lives, in many cases, it appears it means nothing. We, We have not taken any effort to live our lives in according to a promise from Jesus himself that he is coming soon. We make all kinds of plans. I, I look, I'm, I'm a planner. Like I, I get that. All kinds of plans. i got plans for the next year. I've got plans for the next five years. I've got, plan, got plans 30 and 40 years from now. I, I feel like we should be good stewards and we should be planning. But may my plans better be built upon this fact. Jesus is coming soon. When my life is built that way, suddenly I start to make different decisions. I start to spend my money differently. I start to spend my time differently. I value relationships differently. My eyes are less focused on myself and they begin to be focused on the world around me because time is drawing near and people need to know the truth of Jesus. Jesus. And so many times we miss out on living our lives as though Jesus is coming because we're rather comfortable. It's because we're not in pain and we forget that others are. We, we look around and, and, and we kind of forget the question, is Jesus return our blessed hope? For many of us, it's a blessed inconvenience. Jesus, come back, just not yet. What will heaven be like? Heaven will be like everything we want. It'll be like awesome. You ready to go to heaven? No. What will heaven be like? I mean, the presence of Jesus will light the sky all day. We'll be around people we love. We'll be doing wonderful things. We get to work. Pastor Greg wants me to put that in there because our work is worship. I love it when he preaches that. We'll have work to do in the kingdom, but we will enjoy our work. We will see the fruit of our labor. And we look at that and we say, man, that's going to be awesome. It won't be like my job now where I work. And like sometimes I don't know if it's making any difference or we take two steps forward and a step back. But it will be great when we go to heaven. You want to go to heaven right now? Uh, not yet. We rationalize those things that we want to hold on to right now, the hopes and dreams that we lean into, and it just seems like it would be inconvenient if Jesus were to show up and try to take us away. But for those right now who are, who are not in that place of convenience, to those right now who are hurting and broken and addicted and in need and being bombed. For our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who gather today to worship the Lord in whatever setting they can find. These are members of the body of Christ who know the power of a prayer that says, come. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what I believe Our soul cries out. What does it mean for our soul to say come? I believe it can be a one word prayer. Somebody maybe needs to write that down in your notes today. That when I struggle in prayer, I can pray the word come. Because there are some moments where I encounter things. I hear people are in need or situations are going on and I have no idea I have no idea how to pray the right way. What words will be the right words? And very often I find myself praying this way. Come, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Because I know when he comes, all things will be set right. It becomes my one word prayer. Come. I love that the voice has changed in in Revelation 22. We heard from the angel and we hear from Jesus and now it's the echo of heaven when the spirit and the bride, the bride is talking about the body of Christ, the the believers that are sitting around you that have gathered there in heaven's presence, those that have gone before us, the spirit and the bride, they begin praying this one word prayer come. The one who hears the prophecy that's being written joins in the prayer of one word. Come. And the one who is thirsty. Come. And the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So I think about this passage and I boil it all down. There are several things I think about as we close. I want to talk to you about them. The first is this. Our relationship grows from Jesus saying to us, come. To us saying to him, Come. Do you remember when Jesus showed up on the side of the lake and he began to call disciples to follow him? What, what, were the, what was the thing he said to them? Come. Come, follow me. Come. Jesus met us the same way. He's meeting some of you today. Right now, as you're hearing this word preached from the, from the word, you're saying, Man, this is something touching my heart. I feel like God is, is speaking to me today. What's He saying? He's saying, Come. Come to me. You don't have to be left out. You don't have to be on the outside. You can come. Come on in. Come close to me. You can can bathe your robes. You can clean your robes and be ready. You can come close. And I have provided the free water of life for you. Come. Jesus begins our relationship by speaking to us and saying, come. And as we get to know him, we begin to talk to him that way. We join in one word prayers with the spirit and the bride, and we say come. Number two, we can receive the water of life. Living water satisfies the thirst of our soul and cleanses it from its stink. You remember John chapter four, when Jesus meets a woman at the well and he says to her, look, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink, right? Why? Because he says that he is the living water Living water that satisfies the thirst of our soul and cleanses its stink. If I could share just a personal moment with you, I was in the sixth grade. I was in a play at school. Tom Sawyer. I was not Tom Sawyer. There's some like snotty kid, a judge's son. I don't remember his name. He's kind of a snotty kid. It was a role of a lifetime for me. <laughs> And uh, I'm in sixth grade. God bless middle school teachers. The youth pastor just started that clap, I love it. Sixth grade, man, sixth grade, things change in sixth grade. You guys remember, wasn't sixth grade terrible? Sixth grade, terrible. Things start changing, things start smelling, right? And these poor teachers, blessed by God, sit in these rooms filled with these stinky kids. (laughs) Youth camp coming up this summer. Parents rehearsing with their kids, the hygiene habits. When I was a counselor at camp, they would pack their clothes in different Ziploc bags marked by the day of the week so the kid would know you're supposed to change your clothes. Do you know how many of those Ziplocs I saw returned unopened? (laughs) Because they don't know how to handle their stink. And I'm on the side of the platform during rehearsal. And I guess I had been sweating at PE or whatever. And this eighth-grade girl, aren't we thankful for eighth-grade girls? They can. <laughs> they make the world run. They know everything, and we'll tell you. And this girl looks at me. I will never forget the look of disdain on her face as this eighth grade girl looks at this sixth grade boy and goes, don't you know you stink? (laughs) No. I'll never forget that moment. It was a life-changing moment for me. Suddenly, deodorant seemed like a good idea. I mean, come on, I've watched teenagers, I, I've watched a teenage girl put on baby powder deodorant multiple times a day because she likes the way it smells, and when she stops being able to smell it, she just puts a little more on. I've seen the boys who who take the cans and they spray the body spray. Right? They cover their body with chemicals to address the aromatic assault on our noses. <laughs> And really all they need is to go take a bath. (laughs) Go take a shower, wash yourself off. It's easy for us to remember ourselves as young people, learning those lessons. It's easier for us to have children in our home that we're teaching those lessons to, to realize that sometimes people stink and they don't even realize it. And this is a picture of our soul. This is a picture of us who who like the scent of different things and we just keep putting it on so that we can cover the stink of our soul. And it makes us feel good for a while and then it kind of wears off as we just put a little more on And we think somehow that's going to get it. We become aware of the stink of our, our soul. And so we just want to cover ourselves up with something that isn't lasting. Instead of just coming to Jesus at his invitation, where he says, you can come if you're thirsty and drink freely. You can come to the free water of life that I've prepared. And I have a reward that is coming to those who have bathed their robes. And are ready for this city. You see the word. That we have looked at today. Is not one. Of judgment. And fear. It is one of invitation. And love. That Jesus says. Your life can be cleansed. You can be changed. And satisfied. Because we can ask Jesus to come into all areas of our life, and he will. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we need not look far to realize the shortcomings of our life. We need not look far to realize that we don't measure up to perfection and that there in eternity you know that the time is coming and you are returning soon. But Lord I pray in this moment we would realize the promise of your reward. The promise of your gift for everyone who will choose right now. Before the time is up. Choose right now to leave behind doing evil. Choose right now to leave behind being vile. Instead, choosing right now to allow God to work in my life so that I can become good, that I can become righteous and holy. And when I have allowed Jesus to work in my life that way, I am ready for him when he comes. And my life has changed so much that I begin to pray. I pray different. I pray, Jesus, come. Come. The Spirit and the Bride Say come. Those who hear, say come. Those who are thirsty can come. Those who need the free water of life can come. Jesus, you have made that way. With our heads bowed here for a moment, I want to pray for you. Because I believe that there are some folks right now who have heard this word and feel the Spirit of God speaking to you. And you say, Pastor Ben, I don't want to leave this place without coming to Jesus. You said that he says to us, come to him. And then we pray, Lord Jesus, you come to us. And if that's his invitation, I wanna receive Jesus into my life and be changed. If that's you, you can raise your hand up and look at me, then put it back down. I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you. But I believe that the word of Jesus today is I'm coming soon and somebody is making a decision. I'm gonna be ready. Is there anyone today who says pastor ben pray for me i'm raising my hand to say i want to be ready for jesus who is coming soon yeah my hand is raised right now anybody else anyone else i see your hand, sir. anybody else i want to give you a moment right now we're talking about moments we're talking about a time that's counting down but right now is a moment that we can choose to follow jesus anyone else today if you raise your hand, yes, another hand is raised. Somebody else saying, Lord, you see my heart. I need you. Jesus, would you wash me clean? Would you make me right? Lord, I pray for these who have raised their hand. Lord, they're, they're responding to you today to say, Lord, I, I want to be ready. I want to live my life because you are coming. And I want to, I want to join my voice with those who are crying out that you would come quickly. And so here's my life. My heart is open to you. Lord, would you meet us now? Can we pray together? Because those of you who are raising your hands, I'm so thankful for that. But look, the scripture says this is about you talking to the Lord. I I can't talk to the Lord for you. So let's all pray together. And if that was a decision you're making, let's make it a declaration to the Lord. Would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Lord, here is my life such as it is and I recognize my need to be clean my soul needs to be clean so would you forgive me would you wash me would you make me righteous in your sight help me to leave behind anything that is wrong help me to leave behind anything that is evil Anything that would separate me from you. And draw me close, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with people who just made a decision to call out to Jesus? Have heard him say, come to me. And now they are joining the spirit and the bride to say, Lord Jesus, would you come? But we're not done yet. Because this is a message to the church, Revelation says. This is, not just a, this is not just a message to people who are far from God. This is a message to the church. We should be living our lives believing that Jesus is coming again soon. Somebody should be asking the Lord right now, what needs to change in my life if you are coming again soon? If that's you right now, would you begin to stand where you are to say, Lord, I'm standing before you and I'm saying, I'm gonna start living like you, you're coming back. God, what do you want to do in my life? God, how do you want your spirit to be so active and so powerful and so alive in me that I'm looking at the horizon saying this can be the day. Believing right now can be the moment when Jesus will come back. And I'm not waiting around for some blessed day. I'm believing in a blessed hope. I'm joining my voice with the church of Jesus Christ saying even so, Lord Jesus, Come quickly. Lord, I pray for each one, Lord, who is responding to you. Each one whose hands are raised before you, hearts open, saying, God, our lives are yours. You are not just a part of our lives, but I am a part of your plan. And Jesus, I pray for the release of your power and your spirit and your anointing and your favor over each one who stands and says, Jesus, I need you. It is only by your power that you have made a way. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let me close with a blessing. I'm going to ask those who are ready to pray at the altar if you would come and find a place. In just a moment, we're going to close the service out in worship, and you'll be dismissed. I believe that some of us need to ask Jesus to come into our diagnosis. We need to ask Jesus to come today into our problem We need to ask Jesus to come today and intervene in our family. We can ask Jesus to come. Here's the word from 1 Thessalonians 5.23 as I bless you today. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your, your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As we're dismissed today, Go in the love and peace of God. But if you would like to come and receive prayer, come and find someone who would love to pray with you.